Well, if we had just sung that the first week, we could have saved a lot of time. That's, that uh, summed it up beautifully. Good job. Good job. Oh, I enjoyed that. We, should, we, we really should have had that earlier in the series, and then we could repeat it a time or two. That's good. Uh, tonight, we're on number 12. Now, the way it looks right now, I'm, I'm um, still trying to decide how to handle a couple of things. But it looks like we're going to have three more lessons after tonight. Uh, as we look at the life of Abraham, we're going to talk about the, the summary of what Abraham's life brought to us. We're going to talk about that moment of sacrifice um, that ratcheted his faith up to a whole another level. And then we've got one other thing that I think I'm probably going to deal with as well if I don't combine it with the others. But uh, tonight we want to talk about dealing with consequences. Now you remember where we were last week. Uh, uh, the baby came. And we talked about how we, um, the right way to celebrate. We said that sometimes the enemy wants us to have so much shame that, uh, that, we, that when, when the answer comes, we don't know how to celebrate very well because we're so ashamed of our failures and stuff. So we, so we got a good understanding of, of when, the, when the blessing comes. But then tonight we're, we're going to go um, to probably three to five years after the baby is born, uh, weaning, uh, the weaning of a child. Sometimes it was, uh, basically what it meant is that the child was um, up and around on its own. Um, it's not just being a, away from mother's milk, but there's a little bit more to it than that. Um, because very early a child was expected to, and I know this sounds sexist in today's culture, but a girl was designed to uh, plan to just go into householding with her mom, or the son would go into the business or work field with the dad. Um, so it was generally between three and five years old when we talk about this idea of weaning. Um, Genesis 21 uh, says the child, meaning Isaac, grew and was weaned. And on the day Isaac was weaned, Abraham held a great feast. Now why? Because now this hundred year old man plus is going to have a little fella going with him to inspect everything and to count the, the, the animals and stuff like that. And boy, you know, he was going to be proud with that. But Sarah saw that the son whom Hagar, the Egyptian, had borne to Abraham was mocking. Uh, now, what that word mocking means, just making fun, just not treating with the due respect. Um, and so she said to Abraham, get rid of that slave woman and her son. For that woman's son will never share the inheritance with my son Isaac. The matter distressed Abraham greatly because it concerned his son. So you've got to understand there was apparently no love lost between Sarah and Ishmael. But Ishmael was Abraham's son. He loved this child. And um, God said to him in verse 12, Do not be so distressed. It's the second time that word is used about the boy and your slave woman. Listen to whatever Sarah tells you, because it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. I will make the son of the slave into a nation also, because he is your offspring. Early the next morning, 
Abraham took some food and a skin of water and gave them to Hagar. He set them on her shoulders, then sent her off with the boy. Now, guys, I want to tell you, that troubles me at first glance. Here's a man who is immensely wealthy, and he sends her off with, the, with scant provisions. Now, we're going to find out there was a reason for that uh, in just a few moments. But you can imagine the, you can imagine the, uh, I, I remember when I went off to college, I had everything packed and my mom kept bringing stuff in there. And I, I tried backing out of the driveway twice, but my mom kept bringing stuff out. And she did that all four years. I mean, it was like that every time. Um, it's a very emotional time. Um, he set them on her shoulders and sent her off with the boy. She went on her way and wandered in the desert of Beersheba. But when the water in the skin was gone, she put the boy under one of the bushes. Then she went off and sat down about a bow shot away, for she thought, I cannot watch the boy die. And as she sat there, she began to sob. God heard the boy crying, and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What's the matter, Hagar? Do not be afraid. God has heard the boy crying as he lies there. Lift the boy up, take him by the hand, for I will make him into a great nation. Then God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water. So she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. And God was with the boy as he grew up. He lived in the desert and became an archer. While he was living in the desert of Paran, his mother got a wife for him from Egypt, because you remember that's where she was from. That was going back to her family and the, the familiar territory. Now, what is the central truth that we need to look at uh, tonight? And this is a lesson that I've really got to walk through carefully because it would be so easy for us to misunderstand on either side. I mean, I've got a, I've got a walkway about 18 inches wide in a deep ditch on both sides. So you need to listen carefully. In fact, you need to listen better than I speak probably. But the central truth is this, God's promise to forgive and forget, and that is his promise. God's promise to forgive and forget is in regard to our relationship with him. There may be lingering consequences of our sins that we have to deal with. Now, the big word there is may. I want to emphasize may, because I do not want the enemy to use this as an occasion to bring guilt or shame into your life because something's out of whack, you know, something's not hitting on all cylinders. I don't want you to leave here saying, well, it's what I did. God forgave me, but he didn't fix it. Well, it's much more complicated than that, much more complicated. And I, I want to say this, because I know this will also come up, the idea, well, if God forgives and forgets, then why do I ever have to face anything for this? Uh, it's like Jeremy, when he was, uh, I think, in kindergarten, I whipped him on something and uh, about something, just, and, you know, just a little, little pat, basically, is what it was. And uh, it said, buddy, you can't do that. Uh, I was never a good whipper. So, but, you, you know, just a, you know, you can't do that. And I said, you know, this isn't right. And I said, you need to ask the Lord to forgive you. And 
He said, I did ask the Lord to forgive me. So then if he forgave me, why do you keep punishing me? <laughs> and uh, at four years old, I had to try to explain to him this idea of what it means to forgive and forget. Um, when God says that he forgets our sin, it doesn't mean that he, he says, well, I, you know, if you come to him and say, Lord, you know, I've always had this weakness. God doesn't go, what, what weakness? I can't remember. You don't, have to, you don't have to jog my memory. No, to forget in the sense that God uses the word in regard to our sins, it means to have it so forgiven that it doesn't enter into the equation anymore. Um, if, if I forgive Justin or Justin forgives me, if he forgives and forgets what I've done, it doesn't mean that he doesn't remember what I've done, but it means that it's so out of the picture, it doesn't have any bearing on my relationship with you from now on. You know, it doesn't have any bearing on it from this point on. That's the way it is with God. And sometimes there are lingering consequences that we have to deal with. I talked to um, someone not long ago, it's nobody in this church, but I talked to someone not too long ago that they they are in such a miserable predicament in their family. And, um, you know, I, I tell them, I said, you need to step up and you need to take over this. You need to deal with this. But he won't do it. And the more I talk to him, you know what I've discovered? He is so guilty over past sins that he, he's immobile. He can't, he can't deal with problems today because he feels so guilty over what he did in the past. Now, we've got to understand, God doesn't want us to live that way. So let's talk for a minute about what it means to be forgiven and forgotten. We know Abraham was forgiven um, for the, and, and by the way, just in case you're maybe um, new to the scriptures and new to our series, you might not remember where Ishmael came from and Hagar came from was they went into Egypt and instead of trusting God to take care of them, he told a half-truth about Sarah, and it ended up with her being taken into the Pharaoh's harem and, and nearly violated. But out of it, Pharaoh gives uh, flocks and stuff to, to Abraham, and he ends up with a servant girl out of the deal by the name of Hagar. They become so discouraged in their waiting for their promise to God, for God to give them a child, they said, well, maybe we need to help him out. You, you know, Abraham, Sarah says, the law of the land is that if this is my slave, um, her life is mine. And if you have a child with her, that child is mine. And maybe that's what God is after. And, and, and you know, that, that's not as crazy as it sounds because of the law of the land, the culture they were in. In our culture, we'd say, what have you been smoking? But not, not in that culture. It was legal and it made sense, but it was just wrong. It wasn't the plan of God. And this little fellow, uh, Ishmael, was the result of that attempt to help God. And that's, so, so it's not that Ishmael was, was a sin, but Abraham and Sarah had committed a sin. Now, I, that leads me to one more thing I want to say. Um, we need to understand, um, and I think we do a pretty good job of it in our culture, although as recently as a generation or two, I'm not sure that we did. We used to use the phrase illegitimate child when a child was born out of wedlock or what have you. And the implication of that is that that child 
something was broken, something was wrong. That child wasn't illegitimate. It wasn't a legitimate person. And I, I think we're moving away from that in, in society to understand that the sins of the parents should not be reflected on the child. So I, I just, I just want to say that uh, um, I, I know what it's like um, from, from my own extended family and the, the way my, my daddy was raised. I know what it's like to be called an illegitimate child. And I know what that does to a child. And it's horrific. It, it's, it's, it's just another sin of the parents and of society to do that. So Ishmael was not the problem. But what Abraham and Sarah created was an obstacle to everything God wanted to do. And the devil knows that he usually can't destroy God's work in our life, but he wants to create obstacles that, that hinder God's will in our lives as much as he possibly can. That's where Ishmael came from. Um, now, forgive and forget, that's in our relationship to the Lord. We are forgiven totally, and we are forgiven in this sense. God doesn't deal with us anymore in regard to our sin. If I come to him and say, Lord, will you help me do this? And the Lord say, well, I don't know. Last time I helped you, you did so and so. You know, he, he doesn't do that. He doesn't bring it into the equation. But there can be ramifications in regard to those we hurt. See, the issue isn't between me and God. The issue is between me and those that I hurt. That's why the two great commandments, love God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And I want to tell you this, there are degrees, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But we, we want to have a forgiveness that's just me and God when we leave folks that we've hurt over here bruised and bleeding. We've got to deal with that. We should understand that restoration to people may be in order long after God has forgiven us. Long after God has forgiven us. And we can't say things like, well, God forgave me, you ought to. Well, you know, and, and there's the thing called uh, uh, restitution. If I go out into the parking lot and uh, uh, I, I back up and, and, I, and, and I run into David Field's car, I, I don't have the right to get out and say, oh man, I should have been more careful, I should have been more observant. Lord, forgive me for this. And then just leave a note for David, say, David, I just want you to know I did this, but God has forgiven me. And, um, you know, David will rightly say, well, I praise God he's forgiven you, but who's your insurance with, you know? Um, we have a phrase that we use around here that I think is a life-changing phrase. Um, it's, it goes like this. It's from Dick Eastman. He says, uh, some things happen when I pray that do not happen when I do not pray. And that's where we uh, generally stop with the quote because it can get long. But the rest of the quote is this. Therefore, if I do not pray, then something in my life or the life of someone I'm responsible for goes undone. And where that phrase came from, uh, Dick Eastman said, I was, you know, full steam for the Lord. My ministry was at its peak. 
And he said, I have a prayer pattern that I go through every day. And part of my prayer every day is I ask the Lord, is there anything in my life that ought not be there? Please convict me and show me what it is. And he said, I got to tell you the truth. Usually I just breeze through that or it's a little something, you know, you know. Um, you know, I forgot to be thankful yesterday or whatever. But he said, one morning, he said, I was going full steam, had a busy day. And I said, Lord, is there anything that's on your heart that where I disobeyed you or that's standing between me and you? And he said, the Lord gripped me and said, yes. He said, he said, it was so loud and so strong. He said, I didn't know how to respond because the Lord never answers me like that. And he said, well, then he tried to remember his formula he said, what was it? What, what have I done? Is it something specific? And because he, he always taught, and I think it's a good teaching. Conviction is very specific. If the Lord's convicting you, he'll point out something very specifically. The devil brings condemnation. It's cloudy. It's vague. Well, you're just rotten to the core. You know, that's not the Lord. The, he said, Lord, what, what was it? When did it occur? And the Lord said it something like 903 last night. And he said, I remembered where I was at 9.03 last night. He said, I was bothered that I had to deal with my daughter. I'd been at a long meeting, came home. My wife was in tears. All she could do is point upstairs to my daughter's bedroom. He said, I was exhausted. I went upstairs. He got his wife to tell, to tell him what happened. He said, at 9.03, I was in my daughter's room. It was the same thing we'd been dealing with her for months just a rebellious teenage attitude. He said, I told her she was stupid. I told her that she was rebellious. I told her that she wasn't worth, uh, I forgot all the words that he used and he went through it. And he, he couched it in King James language. He couched it in spiritual verbiage and told her what a disappointment she was. And um, he said, and so you pray until you feel like you've settled this with God. He said, I slammed the door and went to bed. The Lord said, you did such incredible damage to your daughter. And he said, I prayed and said, Lord, will you forgive me? And he said, I prayed a beautiful prayer of repentance. And he said, the Lord tenderly spoke and said, oh, yes, you're forgiven. And spoke verses to his heart. David, I forgive you. I, 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 or Dick, I forgive you. And he said, the Lord brought such comfort. And he said, okay, I'm past that. And the Lord said, but there's someone else that needs to forgive you. And he said, I prayed for my daughter. And he said, I thank God for my daughter. And I did all of this. And I said, Lord, will you, he, the Lord said, you put seeds in her heart that are going to grow and blossom into ugly, ugly things in adulthood. And he said, Lord, can you forgive me? The Lord said, yes. He said, will you please by your spirit go to her and take those seeds out of her heart? And the Lord says, no, I won't. And he said, I was puzzled. I've never heard him talk to me like that before. And he asked again, and the Lord said, no, I won't. And he said, why, Lord? He said, because you put them there. You need to remove them. And he, it's a beautiful story. It takes about 25 minutes to tell the whole thing. But he went to her and apologized, said, I was wrong. I should have never said these things. And it wasn't, I, you know, I, I, I have spent my life around people that ruin good apologies with the word but. I'm sorry I did that, but, you know. I'm sorry I went, but, you know. I don't know if you know it, that ruins an apology. 
That, that changes it from an apology to a defense. And he said, I didn't go to her and say, I'm sorry, but you made me so mad, or I'm sorry, but you shouldn't have done that. You've been doing it all over. He said, it was my fault. It was all my fault. You are not stupid. You are, you know, just, you're my precious little girl. And he made it up to her and she forgave him. He said, what I didn't tell you is that she struggled with such self-esteem issues that the Lord gave me a vision and I saw her how she would have turned out if I had not gone to her. And she would have been, again, it takes too long to tell the story. He said, but I planted the seeds of her destruction in her life. And the Lord told me, now that, that was years earlier. He said, now some of you have met my daughter. She works at the registration table. He said, there's nobody more self-confident. There's nobody more full of the joy of the Lord. He said, she is just a, the brightest member of our family. And he said, but it's because the Lord helped me understand that it was more about him forgiving me. It was about her forgiving me. And it's a, it's a beautiful and, and powerful story. He said, I groveled so much that I was in tears. He said, before it was over, she was just patting me on the back saying, it's okay, daddy. It's okay. That's a good, that's a good repentance. Um, this is another dimension uh, of the battle. It's so important that in Matthew 5, Jesus explained it this way. He said, therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. Now, now I've got to give two warnings here. I know there are some people that you can never please. There are some people that you can never settle stuff with. That's why the scripture says, as much as lies within you, as much as you can accomplish, live at peace with all men. But the fact of the matter is there are going to be some people that will never let you live at peace with them. There will be some people that will never forgive because they want something to hold over you. And, and they're so messed up in themselves, they don't know how to forgive. I'm not talking about living under the guilt of someone else's problem. Okay, am I saying that plain enough? You can't spend your life under the condemnation that someone else tries to heap on you because of their issues. That will dry up the joy of the Lord and everything else just ruin your life. That's, that's not what we're talking about, nor are we talking about a conscience that is so sensitive that you, you make something right, but you don't feel like I've done enough. You know, maybe I should buy him a car. Maybe I should do this or do that or the other. You've got to have the balance uh, of knowing how to apologize and then how to let it go. Um, and, and a lot of whether or not you can let it go depends, depends on them. Um, I, I, I just think that that's a place the devil uses so much uh, to condemn us. Now, let's go on to point number two here. I've got to hurry. Though every sin is forgivable, the effects of some sins may not be erasable. Now, that should not be bad news. That's just realization. That's life. Um, the consequences of some sins are minimal. Some seem to carry no consequence. Have you ever gone to somebody, you realized you talked to them at church the other day and you were a little short with them and it, it wasn't them, it was, it was you were mad at your wife or 
somebody road rage on the way to church. I mean, it could be any number of things. But you realize you were just short to them. You know what it's like to go to them and say, oh, I'm, I'm so sorry I, I spoke to you uh, harshly last week. And they honestly say, I, I didn't even notice, you know. And, and they mean that. There was just such, such minimal consequence. If you had not apologized, you, it would have been okay because they didn't even pick up on it. There are some things that are like that. Um, they seem to carry no consequence. Um, the consequence of other sins can diminish with time. Now, it doesn't mean that you handled it right, but, or, or that there's no effect, but time passes. I, I know working with folks that um, have had trouble with pornography, the, the, the most frequent complaint through the years that I've heard is this. You know, God forgives me, but I can't forget those images. And I said, well, there's a couple of things. I said, you, you can forget by replacing. You, um, you, you forget, you know, by doing this. You forget by doing that. But I said, the bottom line is some of these things, you're just going to stay away from it and then let time do its work to erase some of those images. But I'll tell you what I found out. I've never had anybody that say, God just delivered me from every memory of every image I've ever saw. Never have I heard anybody with that testimony. But it can diminish with time. Letter C, the consequences of some sins must be walked out even though we know we are forgiven by God. Um, I know a, a person, again, nobody in this church. They came to Jesus and they loved the Lord and were so thankful for his redemption. But every time I saw them before they went to heaven, uh, almost without exception, it was in a jail. Because one of the last things he did as an unbeliever was to, was to rob a store, rob a liquor store. And he said, God forgave me, but I can't convince the judge in the state of Florida <laughs> to be as forgiving. He said that jokingly. And what he was saying is, I know I'm forgiven, but I've got to walk out the consequences of this. Now, I will tell you this. Go to letter D. The, the consequences of some sins can be mitigated by God. Uh, again, I know another person that I went to court to, to um, what do you call it, character witness kind of thing. And everything, everything, every sentencing guideline, everything said he's going to jail and he's going to jail for a long time. But in that situation, God just seemed to touch the heart of the judge. It was the sentencing part of the trial. And the judge just had mercy. And what looked like it was going to be something like this became something like this. And, and even the judge said, I don't know why I did it. I just felt like I needed to show mercy. And I believe it was the heart of God, you know, speaking to that judge. Um, some, the consequences of some sins can be mitigated by our own actions. We can appeal for mercy. We can say, you know, I, I know this is inexcusable, but. So do you understand what I'm saying? Forgiveness by God does not mean there's no consequence to your sin. And we need to understand that. Um, and as I said, the consequences of some sin must be walked out even though we're, we're forgiven by God. This was one of them. Um, you know, if you... If you uh, you know, if you, if you buy, a, if you, 
If you buy a car, God tells you not to buy. You say, oh, God, forgive me. And, uh, and he, he'll forgive you. But he'll also remind you that you're already forgiven the next 50 payments, you know, <laughs> 60 payments. He'll remind you you're forgiven. But you, but you have to pay for the card or sell it or whatever. Okay. Now, here's Roman numeral three. If your sin resulted in an Ishmael, remember that God will help you deal with it. But sooner or later, you're going to have to deal with it. Abraham would have been perfectly fine to let Ishmael grow up in his household. And, and I would be too. I can't envision sending a child out. I can't envision that. But there was something at stake in that culture and at that time that was foundational for nations and for centuries. Um, years passed, and I want to tell you this, loved ones, God often waits until we have maturity to deal with Ishmael. Sometimes he waits till Ishmael has maturity. But sometimes he waits until we have the maturity to deal with Ishmael. And it was a difficult decision because Abraham loved Ishmael too like he loved Isaac. Um, it, 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 and the, I tell you what, this speaks poorly of Sarah and I'm not, I'm not anti-Sarah, I'm not Sarah bashing, but there was something in Sarah's heart. She never did celebrate this child. She never did celebrate her husband's joy. And you say, well, of course not. She is with another woman. Well, it was the one Sarah sent to him. I mean, it, it's, 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 it's more complicated and more layered than anything we would face in our culture. But here you've got a man and he's looking at two children and one he's going to raise, the other he's sending off to just in the, in the care of God. And God allows pressure to build often in order to push, or to push us toward making a decision that we might not want to make. Depending on which version you read, three times it says that Abraham was distressed. That's a strong word. It didn't mean he was like, oh, I really don't want to do this. It was, it was a word that many had come to the end of himself. It's, it's like, is there any way this can be resolved without sending this boy out into the wilderness? Okay? Uh, now you got to remember this. And boy, we can look at what God was doing. And it's easy for us to say, well, it was for Abraham's good. It was for Ishmael's good. It's for Isaac's good. Yeah, that's what we say years after when the scab is healed over. And, and the pain has been minimized. Now, here's what Abraham did. Now, Abraham was a law unto himself since he was not part of the cities around him. That meant the, the, the way the, the, there, was, there was an agreement that if you lived in, under the, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? The protection of a king, you lived by the king's rules. But if you lived out in a wilderness area, whoever, whatever, whoever the patriarch was and whatever he said, that was the law you lived by. So he was not part of the cities around him except in times when he, you know, went to their, like Abimelech city and, and, uh, and Pharaoh's uh, city. But there was nobody over him. So he was not under a law, but there were social customs that would have weighed heavily upon him. It might not have been a law to him, but every time he wanted to enter into trade with somebody, they would want to know how he viewed the local customs. Now, from this period of time, I'm not trying to bog you down with 
with details, but from the Babylonian kingdom and from the city of Nudzi, we have written laws. We still have them. We have, I've seen some of these in the British Museum. And one of the, one of the laws concerning, this was during the time of Abraham, the son of a concubine could not be disinherited by the father. Okay, if you have a son by a concubine, that child, the wife had no rights. I mean, the concubine had no rights, but the, but the son, and a daughter would have no rights. Yep, I know, it's not right. But a son could not be disinherited even though he was not a child of the wife. He was the child of the concubine. That was the law in both Babylon and Nutsi and other areas like that. But there was another law of the area. This is number two on your outline that said the father could grant freedom to the concubine and her son, and it also included all of her other children, if she would agree to release any claim to the inheritance that was due to her son. In other words, Hagar, you can go free. Um, Ishmael will be free. Now, you got to understand, you say, well, why would she do that? I mean, she had it made living with Abraham. No, when the lady of the house hates you, you'll look for any way to get out of there. Remember, she had already done it once, years earlier. He said, I'll give you your freedom if you will release any claim to the inheritance that's due to Ishmael. Uh, this is part of the Lipit Ishtar code. He was a king in Samaria. Just if you want to check out my, see if I'm right, uh, you can, International Standard Bible Encyclopedia is the source that gives it most concisely. So he said, this is what the custom of the land says I can do. Now, what was a, a, an, an accompanying commentary on that was when you send the concubine and her children out, don't send them with any property or that will always be a claim for the child to cash in on. And Abraham, it was, it was difficult to him not only to send his son away, but to send him away with almost nothing when he could. Abraham could have made him relatively wealthy and never missed it. But it was necessary for the inheritance of Isaac to be preserved. It was necessary to send Ishmael out that way. Now God came to Abraham and commanded him to follow Sarah's inclination. Hagar and Ishmael would be granted freedom. There would be no claim to Abraham's inheritance. He was being sent out with no mixed signals. I, I used to read this and think, Sarah, you are a mean woman. I remember somebody I pastored years ago was having trouble with his wife said, Pastor, you got to understand, I'm married to a mean woman who comes from a long line of mean women. You know, that was how he started our counseling session, you know. <laughs> well, I thought Sarah was a mean woman. She, you would think any mother would say, you know, don't, don't do this. Don't do this. Send them out. Be sure they're taken care of. But... Sarah understood the ramifications of the law. She understood that this is the way it has to be. And I think Sarah and Abraham both understood that none of this would have had to have been had we obeyed God. So you, you have to deal with some consequences. Now, the good thing is that God helps us deal with consequences. One more disclaimer before we wrap this up. 
God does not want you to take on guilt and responsibility that is not your own. You say, well, it was my fault. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm saying, you know, you don't have to die for your sins. Jesus has already done that. But find out what the Lord would have you do. Find out what the Lord would have you do. I remember one time I was, somebody worked for me and I, I, I let them go and I said, Lord, how do, how do, we, how do we handle this? And, and um, I, I said, I don't want to be unfair. I don't want to hurt. I, I felt like I'd been done wrong, but I didn't want to do wrong. How many of you understand it's far better to be done wrong than to do wrong? And I said, you know, Lord, I, I, I felt like I put together what the Lord wanted me to do. And I said, oh, Lord, I, I don't know if this is enough. And the Lord spoke to me and said it was more than Abraham gave Ishmael. And, it, and, and, and what he was saying to me was not, well, it's more than he deserves. What the Lord was saying to me in that moment was, and if I took care of Ishmael, I'll take care of this person. And he did. So what are the Christian life lessons? Here they are. There's five of them. Number one, or letter A, I think it is on your outline, unresolved conflicts can turn us into bitter people. I understand why Sarah did what she did. I mean, you know, you mess with somebody's child, a sweet little lady becomes a mama bear. You mess with somebody's child, a, a, a congenial uh, slap you on the back football watching buddy becomes a tiger for his family. I understand that. But it appears, at least unless there's something we don't know about, it appears that on some level, on many levels, Sarah never got over her bitterness toward this woman and her son. And I'll tell you this, as a pastor, I, I run with pastors. And I'll tell you this, you would be surprised at the number of men and women of God that have served God in pastorates and on the mission field for years and years and years. But when you nail it down, when you get them right down in the moment when nobody's listening and no recorders are running, they are so full of bitterness, so full of anger, so full of hostility. Now, praise God, there are plenty of them that are just the opposite. But I'm going to tell you, it's an ugly thing when we have been led by the hand of God and watched over by the providence of God, I'm not talking about just pastors, I'm talking about anybody. It's a bad thing when we look back on our life and the dominant emotion that rises is bitterness and anger. Okay, that's the first thing we need to be careful of. Sarah teaches us that. Um, letter B or number two, some sins will reverberate until the return of the Lord. Now you got to understand that you're forgiven and you can't be responsible for it. One of my favorite cartoons, I had it on my wall till it just deteriorated. It's two men in Bible garb sitting around a fire. And somebody says, Abraham, don't worry about it. Abraham, I mean, uh, excuse me, Isaac and Ishmael's descendants will probably never run into each other. And in case you don't get the joke, what we're facing in the Middle East today is a result of Isaac and Ishmael running into each other. You say, well, what can I do about it? Wait for Jesus to come. Wait for Jesus to come. Uh, I was watching the news a few years ago when tensions were particularly heightened 
they were trying to negotiate for a, you know, a second state solution and it was just horrible. And this newscaster said, I, I think it would take the return of Jesus Christ to settle this argument. And I thought, <laughs> letter three, uh, C, or number three, the sending out of Ishmael is difficult for us to understand. I know it is. And guys, can I tell you this? There's a lot of times we are willing to put up with something or allow for something because it's far less painful to live with it than to deal with it. Very painful. Ishmael's inheritance was designated for him, not for Ishmael. Now, I wish Sarah would have been more loving. And maybe she was. Maybe it was this custom of the land that constrained them to send it out that way. I, I, I don't know. But Isaac's inheritance was for him, not Ishmael. And this was also a lesson to us that we must break with our past life especially regarding areas of compromise. Here's number four. Justin, get ready to come. I'm, I'm, I'm on a downhill run here. Number four, God is mindful of the difficulties. You, you may say, where are you getting this from? God is mindful of the difficulties facing single parents. I mean, we don't, you know, we, we, we've gone from thousands of years ago to now we're in a single parent discussion. But I want to tell you, if you look at the way that the angel of the Lord handled that situation, he told her this, there's a day of recovery coming, and I will carry you until that day gets here. I mean, God, God's the one that said, yeah, Abraham, this is your only real option. But God moved in to the people that I think were the victims of this. And God said, he said, Hagar, I'm going to make a great nation out of that boy. She said, the one over there sniffling and crying and begging me to get him something to drink? That boy, you go take him by the hand, and I will make a great nation out of him. And this is what he said further. He said, and I will carry you both until that day arrives. Okay, here's the last thing. God will open your eyes to provision and promise. She, she said, I can't bear to see the child die. She began to sob. The child was almost lifeless. And then all of a sudden, God opened her eyes and she saw something that was there all along. Uh, let me say this. A lot of times we get bogged down into, God, I need something. I, you're not giving it to me. It's not there. And I understand that. I've, I've been there. But as often as not, and maybe more times than the other, God will open my eyes to what's already there. And we'll see that he was providing all along. Okay. So while you celebrate your Isaac... Don't be afraid if God says, hey, now that we've got that squared away, let's deal with Ishmael. Because he can be trusted. He will provide. He'll carry you. And there is no condemnation. Don't let the devil turn this into a condemnation thing. And remember what uh, William Perkins said, never believe the devil even when he tells the truth. Even when he tells the truth, never believe the devil. Justin.